What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Wealth Program Podcast. I'm your host, Thatcher Taylor. It's great to have you back. You probably saw in the title, today we're talking about taxes. Our beloved tax system, the IRS, and we're going to do one thing different today. We're going to find a way to get it over on the IRS to keep a little bit more in our pocket. That's what we want. So here's the deal. I'm not a CPA. I'm not an enrolled agent. I'm not a tax preparer. However, I'm a comprehensive financial planner, and it seems like every decision we make, whether it's around investing, retirement, income, future, estates, anything, has to do with taxes. And I feel like I read more about taxes than I read my kids' bedtime stories. So that gives you an idea of how much digging I'm doing. So let's get into it. Okay, so let's start right here. We are going to go over three reasons that you would want to save money on your taxes right now. This list, this first list of three reasons to save money on your taxes right now is not an all-inclusive list. There could be a variety of reasons. Everyone's different, but these are three very popular ones that I'm seeing right now. In addition, these four ways that we're going to talk about to save on taxes right now, it's not an all-inclusive list either. There are hundreds of ways to save on taxes yeah, maybe not hundreds, There's, but there's quite a few ways to save on taxes. But I'm going to talk about four, four that are easy to describe, things that could be done right now that are very valuable depending on the situation that you're in. So my first disclaimer for today is always consult with a financial planner, a CPA, an enrolled agent, or whoever's filing your taxes to make sure that these decisions are going to fit in your particular situation. But don't be scared to take this list and go to your CPA and see if any of this fits or makes sense for you. Okay, so three reasons why you may want to reduce your taxes now. There's a little bit of variety here, but here's three. You believe that taxes in the future for you are going to be less than they are now. So you want to save money on your taxes now. So you're in a higher tax bracket now. You might have to pay more in taxes now. And you think you're going to be in a more favorable tax rate in the future, which you would believe that your tax rates are going to be less. Now, this is extremely common. A lot of high income earners are in the higher tax brackets right now. And so they're wanting to defer or reduce their current taxation as much as possible because when they get to retirement and they're starting to distribute their assets, they're going to be in a far lower tax bracket. They're not getting bonuses or commissions or restricted stock units or stock options or whatever product or excuse me, whatever compensation you're going to be getting. So your tax brackets are going to be reduced in the future than they are now. So that's one thing you would need to evaluate. The second is potentially Medicare or IRMA. So if you're in retirement or getting close to retirement and maybe you're still working or you have some distributions coming in or whatever it may be that may be putting you into a higher tax bracket, IRMA is the Medicare surcharges that you have to pay when you enroll in Medicare and they come from your social security paycheck. However, those surcharges could be increased if you've had years of high income And the IRMA does a two-year look back. 
So that's why I say if you're getting close to retirement, you're planning for retirement, and you may be having really big tax bills and you're a couple years out from Medicare or IRMA, or in addition, you're in retirement, you're already taking Medicare, but maybe you're still working or running a business and you're going to get some big distribution checks. In two years, you could get hit with some Medicare surcharges to pay your Medicare premiums. So reducing your tax liability may be valuable to help save some money in your tax on your tax bills, I should say. And number three is if you think you're going to get a lot of capital gains or qualified dividends and you want to reduce your taxable income in other areas in the same year to get into more favorable tax bracket, because remember, long-term capital gains are stacked on top of your ordinary income to calculate your long-term capital gains or qualified dividends tax rate. So remember, it's going to be stacked on top. So what helps is reducing your taxable income that may protect and get you into lower capital gains tax bracket because that stacking feature that I just mentioned, a lower income means the stacking of capital gains and ordinary dividends on top could help reduce down the taxes owed on those capital gains and dividends. The cool thing about all three of these items that I just mentioned, these possible tax saving reasons is that they can all be planned for. Planning can actually optimize all three of these reasons. Me saying them out loud sounds good, but being able to plan for them and really implement them is what makes them valuable. I mean, you think a three Michelin star or Michelin, Michelin star chef goes into their multi-course meal without planning and preparing and reconfiguring and rebuilding? No, no, no. They plan, whether it's on a computer or a piece of paper, they're planning out every detail of every 12-course meal that they're going to present to get their Michelin stars. All right, well, I'll get off my soapbox now, but that's just me naming a few. But whatever reason it is you want to start lowering your taxable income, now we're going to go over the four ways to do it. Even better, I have the 1040 the form that you're probably going to file your taxes on in most cases, I have the 1040 here in front of me. I'm going to tell you what lines on the 1040. There are 15 lines on the 1040, maybe a little bit more because there's like 2A and 2B and 3A and 3B and 12A and 12B. There's 15 to 20 lines. And I'm going to identify the very specific lines on this tax form that you're going to want to look at that could help reduce your taxable income. Now, for the main course. Oh, well, actually, wait, sorry. I forgot. I got to tell you one thing. There are some visual aspects to this. I'm going to go over the 1040, and there's going to be a YouTube video coming out explaining all this and having more images. It's just going to be on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Thatcher Taylor. I'll put the link in the show notes below if you're more of a visual learner and you'd like to see some of this. So as I explained, the video will help. That'll be out in a week or two, but go subscribe now. And when it comes out, you'll get it delivered to you on YouTube. Okay. So now for the main dish, the main course, the four ways to reduce taxable income. The first place we're going to look is on line one of the 1040 and line one of the 1040 is all your gross income, wages, salaries, tips, commissions, everything that's generated W-2 income is on line one. So it's obvious reducing this down is going to help reduce your taxes, but how? There's a few ways you can do this. The most common way is if you work for an employer that has a 401k. Contributing to your 401k, not your Roth, your pre-tax 401k reduces that amount down. So a quick example, you make $200,000 a year. 
you put in the annual max for 2022 of 20,500, that reduces down your taxable income, the amount that you'd have to pay taxes on from 200,000 to $179,500. So depending on what tax bracket you're in, a 24% tax bracket, you just got a four or $5,000 savings in that year. So remember, you're going to already start to think, well, what about the Roth and deferring taxes to later? We've already discussed that you've decided that saving taxes now is important. So this is one way to do it. If you're over the age of 50, which a lot of my clients are, if not the majority of my clients over the age of 50, you get a catch up of 2022 at 6,500 bucks. So boom, right off the top, you can reduce down your taxable income by $27,000. If you're in a lower income tax bracket, you can contribute to an IRA. But IRAs have very low income limits. In fact, for a traditional IRA deductibility, if you're married filing jointly, the married filing jointly household income can only be between 109 and 129,000. So it's very low. The cool thing about numbers one and two within the 401k is there's no income limitation. You can make as much as money as you want and still max those retirement plans out. Next are HSA contributions, health savings account contributions. Health savings account are arguably one of the best retirement planning and current life planning tools because the money goes in tax deferred. So it reduces down your taxable income online, one of your 1040. The money in there, if you let it invest, which you can in a lot of HSA accounts, that money will grow tax deferred. And then if you pull the money out for qualified medical expenses, it's tax free as well. So as long as you follow the rules, they are phenomenal tool in for a family, the most you can put in is $7,300 a year. So that could reduce down your taxes even further in the current year. Next is stock options or employer or executive compensation outside of the 401k. All I'm going to talk about this is because it's extremely complex. I just posted a video on restricted stock units, but non-qualified stock options or incentive stock options. They each have different taxation and they're very complex. So I'm just going to say this, when it comes to any other types of compensation or performance compensation from your employer, there's always some sort of tax ramification. So the key to this is you could save in your current year's taxation, but the best way to engage with these type of income producing properties is to plan for them. So if you have them, just start planning and preparing for ways that they're going to contribute to your tax bill this year. So maybe you can start using more of the 401k or some other options that I mentioned here today. Lastly, we're going to talk about the 401k, but in a little different context. And I'm going to mention this a little bit differently. It's going to be, that's why it's kind of our last option. But in the 401k, we already talked about making contributions as an employee deduction into your 401k that's going to get you the current year deduction on your taxes. But another thing you can do is in some 401ks, you'd have to confirm this with your 401k provider, you actually get what's called an after-tax bucket. So in a 401k, there's most likely the pre-tax bucket, which we've discussed. There's the Roth 401k bucket that we haven't talked about much today, but it's usually there and we'll talk about it in another episode. And then lastly, there's the after-tax bucket, if your plan allows it, where you can contribute more in your 401k. And the value of this, which this is going to be our segue into number two, is when you invest in that third bucket, the after-tax bucket, if those investments pay off any dividends or capital gains, 
they are sheltered within the 401k and there's no current year taxation. They will be taxed in the future, but it could help protect you now getting more money in there because if you have a very aggressive saving strategy and you're high income earners, you could be investing in a taxable account after maxing out your 401k and creating even more taxation in that year. You may be able to do this in an after-tax bucket, which leads us into part two. But before we get there, Podcast number eight. So this is podcast 10. So go back to podcasts. That's where I talk about restricted stock units. So I mentioned in any employer executive compensation restricted stock units and how they impact your line one, your taxable income. If this is happening to you or you have restricted stock units in happening in a particular year, you might be able to use some of these other options to help save on some taxes because when those restricted stock units hit, they go right on your line one of your 1040. So go check out that podcast. If you have restricted stock units, it might be able to give you some more knowledge and I'll put the link below in the in the comments for that episode or you can just go back to the list as well. So number two are dividends, interest, and capital gains that are held in investment accounts. That would be taxable brokerage accounts, individual accounts, joint accounts, trust accounts. These are lines 2A, 2B, 3A, and 3B. So number two here, our second way to save taxes does not apply to 401ks or anything employer related. So this is money after you get it, you pay taxes on it, and then you invest it. So when you invest it, you're going to most likely buy some sort of investment, ETF, mutual fund, stock, bond, And within those investments, you're most likely going to get a few forms of investment income or return. You're going to get just the total appreciation of the asset, which right now seems crazy to even talk about with where the market is. But over the long term, assets usually appreciate depending on which ones you own. You're going to get dividends. So the investment will pay income to you, which is taxable. You'll receive interest, depending on what type of bond or investment you hold, that interest could be taxable. It could be tax-free if it's a municipal, but you might be able to receive any interest from that that's taxable. And then lastly, your capital gain. So either created by when you sell the investment for more than what you bought it for, that creates a capital gain, or the investment can create the capital gain for you, usually unexpectedly. So this is another element of income that could be coming in that's going to be adding to your tax bill. Capital gains and qualified dividends are going to be taxed a little bit differently. I mentioned that in the beginning of the show, how they're stacked on your income. But if you reduce those numbers down, that's less in taxes you're going to have to pay. Now, the highest brackets for capital gains and qualified dividends are 20% and most people are going to land in the 15% or the 10% tax bracket. So they are more favorable tax rate, but still that's money that you could be paying in taxes when you don't want to. But let's take a slight detour. We're going to come back to this list momentarily, but what I want to talk about is investment strategy gold. It's called asset location. So you might want to consider your asset location and the types of investments you have that are adding to your tax return. So I'm going to bring back in the 401k, but not specifically investing in the 401k in general. I'm going to talk about tax liability. So your 401k could have a pre-tax component or a Roth 401k, which could have a post-tax component. And then your taxable accounts that we're talking about now are taxable in the current year, the year that you sell off some sort of asset. So what I'm talking about is the tax liability and diversification first, and then I'll get to asset location. So you want to make sure that your assets are diversified from a tax standpoint, where you want to maybe have some taxable assets, 
a balance of tax-deferred assets and a balance of tax-free assets. So it's kind of a three-headed monster that we want to find balance with. So within the taxable portion of your investment assets, you could be generating a lot of investment income like we discussed, interest, dividends, and capital gains. So one way we can reduce that down is diversifying the investment holdings within the taxable account structure. So we're going to go over some very specific examples. So let's say you were talking about municipal funds, which municipal funds, municipal bond funds are generally tax exempt. So there's some tax advantages. Those are the types of income that we would want in a taxable account, like an individual account, a brokerage account, a joint account, a trust account, because you're getting a tax advantage. If you put those types of assets in a tax-free or tax-deferred account, like a 401k or an IRA or a Roth IRA, you're losing the tax benefit. So that's usually not a good decision to make. All right, so let's go a little bit further down the bond spectrum. What about fully taxable bonds and bond funds like high-yield corporate bonds, some government bonds, a bunch of different types of bond funds, whether they're actively managed or ETFs? Those are usually taxed at ordinary income rates, or they might be taxed as a qualified rate, but a lot of times that's ordinary income to clients. If you're receiving ordinary income, wouldn't you want to shelter that? in an IRA or a Roth IRA, so you're not receiving that income and being taxed on it every year. If it's in an IRA or a Roth IRA, it's sheltered because of the tax deferral. So that's an example of how one type of asset, a bond, could be broken into subcategories. And those subcategories could be better positioned towards your long-term growth and tax bill by putting them in the proper tax account structure. Those are the two ones that I really wanted to focus on. But the third piece of the puzzle is capital gains, specifically actively managed mutual funds. So actively managed mutual funds usually cost a little bit more on their annual expense ratios. Those go to the fund managers. Actively managed funds means they have more activity of the buying and selling of the underlying pot of goods. So just imagine a big basket full of hundreds of eggs in there. A fund manager will go in and switch out those eggs, take old ones out, put new ones in. When they switch those eggs out, that could create taxable event. What act, taxable events, excuse me, what actively managed mutual fund managers do is if there's a taxable event like that within the fund, they will pass that on to investors and you could receive a capital gain, which could be a hidden tax bill to you. So this is why I suggest on your 1040, Lines 2A, 2B, 3A, 3B, evaluating what type of dividends, interest, and capital gains you're receiving from your investments and start to evaluate maybe positioning assets in the different tax type accounts and making sure that you're getting high quality tax efficient investments if you do have taxable accounts for your long-term goals. Okay. Wow. Okay. That was a lot. That was a lot. All right. But we're going to move on. We're going to keep plugging along here. We got two more left. Number three is business income. This is line 10 on your 1040. But here's what I mean. There's a weird path that we take to get to business income. A lot of times your business income, let's say you're a business owner right now, your business income is going to be calculated on your schedule C. And then that amount of money, say you have a profit, some income, that's going to be added to schedule one. 
which will then be transferred after some calculations over to your 1040 on line 10. So the idea here is you want to try to reduce down that business income. And this can be done by using something very similar to what we use in step one, a retirement plan. But instead of the retirement plan being run by the employer and you being an employee, you as a business owner could develop a retirement plan and make contributions to reduce down that business income that transfers over to your 1040. Some options may be a solo 401k, a safe harbor 401k, a traditional 401k, a profit sharing plan, a simple IRA or a SEP IRA. They all have their different advantages and disadvantages, but you could potentially, if you're a business owner and it fits your particular situation, you could start contributing for your long-term retirement goals into your own retirement plan that really may save on that business income get some more deductions and so you don't have to pay as much in taxes. I should mention that most businesses have this process where the business income passes through and it's usually a lot of small businesses and depending on the business structure, but you need to evaluate whether or not this makes sense for you in your particular situation. All right. And last but not least, charitable giving. This is on lines 12A and 12B. So this gets a little bit interesting. So what has happened is on the most recent tax forms, you get the ability, if you take the standard deduction, which basically means you tried to make a bunch of gifts or you get make a bunch of deductions, excuse me, not a bunch of gifts, but you get a bunch of deductions on your tax return, but it's not enough to exceed the standard deduction. So what happens is the standard deduction transfers over to your 1040, and that's what reduces down your adjusted gross income. So if you take the standard deduction, which most people do, seriously, the majority of people just take the standard deduction, you get the ability to deduct an extra $300 if you're an individual or $600 is a charitable contribution. That's going to go on line 12B. So whatever type of initial deduction, whether it's the standard or itemized deduction that you take on line 12A, if it's the itemized, you could enter in a little bit more on line 12B, saving a little bit in taxes. But even further, on line 12A, if you do itemize, you could make some non-cash gifts or maybe even some cash gifts to qualified charities, which need to be a 501c3 charity in most cases. The IRS says that, where you can increase your itemized deductions past the standard deduction in some cases in, uh, hopefully in a lot of cases, if you're using this method, that will transfer over onto that line 12A, your 1040, and really reduce down your tax liability. Again, just to reiterate, I, I really need to make this clear. Most people take the standard deduction, so you're going to get an extra $300 and $600 if you make those contributions to charities, qualified charities. But if you do have a lot of itemizations and you can add some more charitable gifts, this could help reduce down your tax liability even more. In addition, one thing that some of my clients use are called donor-advised funds. A donor-advised fund is an entity where you can gift like cash or appreciated securities or other assets where you can take the immediate tax deduction. Say it's $100,000. So you make a $100,000 gift to a donor-advised fund, which is a 501c3 charity. Once it gets to the donor-advised fund, that money will sit there and you can distribute $10,000 a year over the next 10 years because you already gave the $100,000 gift 
to the 501c3 organization, which is the donor advised fund. So you'll get a bigger deduction in the year that that was done. Then from then on, you get some control from the donor advised fund where you're essentially a trustee and you can start gifting your portion of shares to whoever you want, whenever you want. I'll hit a link below to a donor advised fund piece of information from the IRS website, but these are tools that I use for some of my higher net worth clients that really need some more tax deduction and are very charitably inclined. All right, so that's it. That's number four. There are four ways that you can save right now. We could go into many more ways, but I'm already 24 minutes in. We could be talking about this for hours on end. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll make another podcast episode about more ways to save on taxes. So make sure to follow this podcast, the Wealth Program Podcast, on whatever place you're listening right now. But the most popular places are Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. The link below will be to the Buzzsprout webpage if you want to listen to it there. But make sure to follow so you get all the next podcasts as soon as they come out. Please feel free to reach out to me with any questions or concerns. I appreciate everyone listening, and I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Take a look at the show notes for links to all the topics that were discussed and stay tuned for the next episode as they're going to be dropping weekly. Make sure to subscribe and go to www.propathfinancial.com to learn more. The information provided in these podcasts is only to be considered helpful hints and education. Nothing said in any of these podcasts is to be misconstrued as specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Consult with your tax, legal, or investment professional before acting on anything discussed on these shows.